Pretty goofy. Welcome to the Texas Take, which thanks to you is the number one political podcast in the great state. Thank you so much. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at quorumreport.com and back for duty after he was feeling a little down last week is Jeremy Wallace at HoustonChronicle.com. How are you, sir? Yeah, that that COVID second shot really took me out. Yeah. I, was like, I wasn't expecting that. I had no effect on that first one, but that second shot, whew, that packs a punch. Well, I saw you were running around the Capitol once again all week, so I think you got over it pretty quick through yeah. the weekend. And, and good timing because we are down to the wire on so many issues. The title of this episode, Pretty Goofy, is something we're going to get to a little bit later in the show. Stay tuned. You've got to hear this. Um, but but it's, um, it's all part of how much tension there is, not just between the House and Senate, but also between the lieutenant governor and the governor. Let's start with the two legislative chambers, okay? You saw earlier in the week, Jeremy, and you picked up on it at HoustonChronicle.com, something we reported first at QuorumReport.com, the fact that the Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, the rookie speaker, Brand new, this is his first session, and I have to tell you, it's been really interesting to watch the interplay with him and uh, Dan Patrick. Um, whenever you watch the two presiding officers of the Texas House and Senate and the way they interact, it has so much to do with what actually happens um, as far as the laws that we all have to live under. Right? This has real consequence. The fact that these guys don't get along, it matters. Right? It, people might think it's just sort of tabloid stuff, you know, the fact that they might not really be getting along. No, it's, it's, a, it's real stuff. Um, and the House and Senate just have been at each other's throats. Am I, am I uh, exaggerating that at all? Yeah, uh, yeah, there's certainly like, you know, boy, there's a lot more tension in there than mm -hmm. I've seen in maybe some of the past sessions. But certainly, like, people are literally under people's skin. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned last week when you were not here that there's always some version of this at the end of, of the session. That, you know, that it, we come down to the wire on different things and the details on big pieces of legislation haven't been completely worked out. One of the mistakes that I think people are making right now, and I've seen some of this in national coverage and some of the state-level coverage as well, is this idea that it's so much worse this session than it was in previous sessions. Uh, there's something to that, but I also think that one thing people are doing, they're comparing this session to the last session, which was the anomaly. Yeah. In the last legislative session in 2019, everybody kind of got along. Uh, you know, the the Speaker, Dennis Bonin at the time, and uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick and Governor Abbott, they were on the same page about the big issues, and the big issues were very narrowly focused. It was yes. only school finance and property taxes followed closely by school finance and property taxes. That's it. They didn't talk yep. about anything else. So on um, on a, one evening this week, when was this? Thursday evening? Wednesday evening? Wednesday I can't even remember now. Everything Thursday runs together. Morning. <laughs> um, we had reported at about 11.30 in the evening that uh, Speaker Dade Phelan had tried to enter the Senate chamber. He was trying to go into the gallery. And I got the news uh, tip from a source who said, look, the Speaker just got turned away. The, the, the Senate sergeants wouldn't let him go in. That sounds like news to me. So I confirmed that information, and we did publish it. Um, and Lieutenant Governor Patrick's office at about 1 a.m., uh, put out a tweet that both denied and confirmed the story all at once, right? And you saw that the following morning. Oh, yeah. And so what is this all about? At about 3 a.m., Patrick wanted to go on the record with the senators. And so while he's standing on the dais of the Senate, and listen to this. I, I don't know how you do this. Uh, he's, he's just fascinating to listen to. He confirms and denies the story. He calls me an agitator in the media, all in the same statement. 
Members, I want to uh, just get something on the record and clear something up. There was an agitator in the media earlier that said that Speaker Phelan was denied entry to the Texas Senate because he lacked a COVID test or a vaccination wristband. Phelan attempted to enter the Senate this hour but was turned away. The Speaker is always welcomed here. He was not turned away. He came to the gallery with several members and they said, you need a wristband. And he said, no, never mind. And they left. When the lieutenant governor's office banned me from uh, being present on the Senate floor in 2019, uh, basically because his office could not handle criticism, uh, I never dreamed or made it uh, a goal, Jeremy, to have uh, sentences that I wrote read by the lieutenant governor on the dais in the middle of the night. I I didn't set out to do that, but it is what happened. Um, Patrick is saying that Phelan needed one of the COVID wristbands because they have kept strict uh, restrictions in place in the Senate, yep. right? Unlike the House, where they have at least a little bit, it's not it's not fully open and accessible the way it was pre-COVID. But to the House's credit, they have lifted a lot of the restrictions, including the fact that media can be on the floor once again in the House. And that's, that's a very positive thing. It's good for the First Amendment and good for Texas, I would argue. Um, but it, Patrick is the same guy. You know, while, while he presides over a Senate that is very, very locked down, right? No media on the floor. Uh, the Senate gallery is restricted as well. You can't, not all the seats are available. Um, he's the same guy who just a little more than a year ago told Tucker Carlson on Fox News Channel uh, that people shouldn't take this that seriously. You, if, if you think I'm exaggerating, listen. My message is that um, let's get back to work. Let's get back to living. Let's be smart about it. Uh, and those of us who are 70 plus, we'll, we'll take care of ourselves, but don't sacrifice the country. Don't do that. Don't ruin so this great American So you're basically dream. saying that this disease could take your life, but that's not the scariest thing to you. There's something that would be worse than dying. Yeah. Yeah. Now, nobody asked the Speaker of the House whether he would be willing to risk his own health to enter the Senate, right? <laughs> I, I bring up the hypocrisy to say this, that uh, Dan Patrick is, I would argue, using the pandemic to do things he always wanted to do, which is restrict access to what uh, happens in the Texas Senate. Uh, we have, for the entirety of the session, had a very, it's, it's opaque. What's going on in the Senate? You have been trying to report, Jeremy, on various pieces of legislation, and what they're doing in these uh, various amendments to bills, uh, which we don't have access to. Some of the bills have not been posted online. I'm old enough to remember the day when reporters could sit on the floor of the Senate at the Senate press table, and as amendments were distributed to senators, they would also bring us a copy. Yes. So we could just read it, and we could report it. And now, days after something passes out of the Senate— um, we still don't know what's in the bills. This is at the same time that the lieutenant governor says, read the damn bills. Yeah, and sometimes we don't know how the vote even went. Uh, Because when we're on the floor, we can usually get the list of how people voted. But, like, you know, because we're not on the floor, we can't even tell you how your state senator voted. And to me, this this other part of this thing that, like, that you know, by – Patrick keeping the media off the floor, we don't get to talk or hear what the senators have to say or their viewpoints on things. What we get then is only lieutenant governor's interpretation of what happened on the floor that day by the senators, right? Yeah. And so for the senators, this it, it, I think it hurts them and or, you know and their ability to talk to me to get their message out to their voters and their constituents, you know, because it now all goes through 
Dan Patrick. And so he gets to control, you know, what we have from, you know, Senator Brian Hughes, from Senator, you know, Paul Bentoncourt, from, mm-hmm. you know, any of them. You know, th- you know, we don't hear from them. We can't talk to them unless we go through great lengths to get there. Earlier in the same evening, before the Speaker was denied access to the Senate, which is what happened, uh, Patrick was badmouthing the House for not working enough hours. The House has already quit for today. So we're working hard. We're passing bills. They weren't here for two days in the last five. They're gone now. They killed key bills of yours last night because they weren't here Friday and Saturday. And all House members and chairmen need to hear that clearly. Clearly, Mr. Chairman. When he said Mr. Chairman there, uh, there was a House chairman on the floor, uh, Chris Patty, who is the head of the State Affairs Committee in the House. And Patty, as, uh, as, as Patrick was talking, <laughs> Patty sort of leaned back against one of the brass rails there and crossed his arms and just sort of stared down the lieutenant governor while he was saying all of this. Um, he was not really happy to be subjected to Patrick's lecture. Everybody ought to hear that in the House. Not here Friday, not here Saturday, quit already. Major Senate bills killed last night for all the members. Uh, but we're continuing to work. Fact check on that. The Texas House has been on the floor for 267 hours this session compared to the Senate's 178 hours. Fifth grade math would tell you that the House has been in session more than the Senate. Um, Somebody said, well, what about when they take breaks in the House, when they recess for two days, whatever? Well, the Senate um, also stands at ease a lot. The bottom line is that Patrick's just wrong. Now, the following day, Calendar's chairman in the House, Dustin Burroughs, and the Speaker, Dade Phelan, the denied Speaker, (laughs) he discussed uh, with uh, Burroughs the number of bills that the House has worked on versus the Senate. So not just talking about hours, but talking about the output of legislation. Mr. Speaker, is it true that the House sent 1,250 House bills to the Senate? The chair is not specifically advised, but that sounds about accurate. Uh, Mr. Speaker, parliamentary inquiry. Please state your inquiry. Is it also true that 100 of those bills were never even referred? That sounds accurate. Mr. Speaker, parliamentary inquiry. Please state your inquiry. That of the bills that actually were referred... 450 were never even considered in a Senate committee? The chair is not advised, but that sounds accurate. Mr. Speaker, parliamentary inquiry? Please state your inquiry. That less than 50% of the House bills that we sent over were passed by the Senate. Are you aware of that? The chair is not advised. Mr. Speaker, parliamentary inquiry? Please state your inquiry. By comparison, is it true that the Senate sent 670 Senate bills to the House? That sounds about right. Mr. Speaker? Parliamentary inquiry. Please state your inquiry. That of the Senate bills sent over to the House, 99% of those were referred to committee? That seems accurate. Mr. Speaker, parliamentary inquiry. Please state your inquiry. Of those bills that were actually referred, 88% of the Senate bills were actually considered in a committee? That's a lot of work for our Texas uh, House of Representatives committees, and I appreciate them doing that work. So diplomatically saying that the House has been doing a ton of work completely in contradiction to what Patrick had said. Now, Patrick's upset about three things that did not pass on his priorities list. And how many bills does Patrick um, list uh, toward the beginning of session as his priorities? He matches it up with how many senators? Yeah, 31, 31. Pri- 31 yeah. priorities. So 
Keep the number 31 in mind when I read the following things. One, punishing social media companies for, quote, censoring conservative viewpoints. That's one thing that didn't pass the House. Two, banning transgender students from playing on sports teams based on their gender identity. So that's two things. Three, cracking down on lobbyists in Austin. So three things. So of the other things that Dan Patrick has said that he wants, the vast majority have have passed. They're either going to go to the governor or they're probably on their way to the governor. There's still details to be worked out. Um, The lieutenant governor says there should be a special session about the three things that I just told you in June, immediately. Um, This legislative session, the regular session, is set to expire on Monday. Per the Texas Constitution, they have to stop on Monday. They could actually stop before that. They could stop on Sunday. If they wrapped everything up, they could stop on Saturday and just have a little bit of a weekend. But I don't expect that. (laughs) But Patrick would like them to be right back at work on Tuesday. Now, you've heard how well they're working together. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As As we've illustrated here, it's not going well, even though a lot of work has been done. But, you know, tensions are flaring and nerves are frayed and all of that. Governor Abbott was asked by NBC5 reporter Julie Fine. Um, during a press conference in Fort Worth about the suggestion from Patrick that there should be an immediate special session. Are you considering doing that? Well, first, Julie, that's pretty goofy because everybody knows there's only one person with the authority to call a special session, and that's the governor, and only I have that ability. Jeremy, not only did he say that it's pretty goofy, but he also said that the legislators need to stop all this infighting, right, and, and get to work. Yeah, the, 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 this kind of set him up perfectly. So, you know, basically you know, to, to sum up, you know, the Senate's saying you guys aren't working enough. And the House is saying, no, you're not working enough. Mm-hmm. And Abbott's saying, boys, none of you work enough. <laughs> right. It's just y'all need to quit your fighting and, you know, keep going. And so Abbott kind of gets this like freebie to look like the adult in the room. So mm-hmm. congratulations, Greg Abbott. <laughs> well, one of the other things that he said at that same press conference, uh, and he was completely, I mean, this is a direct rebuke to Patrick's past history. Um, yeah. If anyone knows the way that the lieutenant governor behaved in 2017, when he was pushing and unsuccessfully pushing uh, restrictions on who could use which public restroom in Texas, the so-called bathroom bill, what happened at that time was Patrick used other pieces of legislation to gain leverage such that there would be a special session. And at that time, Jeremy, it seemed like there was more intensity to what Patrick was doing. Do you, do you remember he was holding news conferences and uh, trotting out all the Republican senators? And someone had, um, at one point, someone had uh, superimposed bags over the heads of the senators because they looked like they were being held hostage. Yeah. <laughs> I bring that up. I bring that up because Patrick held some legislation hostage at that time, sunset legislation. And the short version of what sunset legislation is, it deals with uh, the continued operations of state agencies. If the legislation doesn't pass, the sun sets on them and they go away. That's the that's the way it's supposed to work in Texas. That, there's a review for state agencies um, and it's necessary stuff. This is what Abbott said at the press conference, which is a direct rebuke to Patrick. Quote, if anybody tries to hold hostage this legislative session to force a special session, that person will be putting their members in the Senate or the House potentially into a special session for another two years for the next regular session. Now, Patrick was asked about all this by Fox 4 News reporter Blake Hansen in DFW. Listen to their exchange, Jeremy. Patrick keeps coming back to the question of whether the governor really said that the suggestion for a special session was goofy. 
The governor held his, uh, his news conference here in Fort Worth this afternoon and was asked about it. And uh, he said that uh, your calling for a special session was uh, goofy. W- what's your response to that? Did he really say that? Yeah. I don't even understand that. Look, the Senate has passed uh, multiple priority bills to the House that have not come back. He also said it's not true that sunset legislation is being used to try to force a special session. We're not holding anything hostage. We're not forcing a special session. I could um, if we held that bill back, but we need our law enforcement commission. We need the agricultural commission because that would be shut down, too. So we're going to pass that bill out. At least for right now, Jeremy, it sounds like Patrick is fighting a war on too many fronts. Listen to the way he comes back to this question about whether the governor really called his suggestion goofy. You said he said goofy. I'm going to take it your word. I can't imagine that the governor said it's goofy. So you better check that. I just can't imagine he would say that. (laughs) Um, One thing that is apparent to me in listening to all of this is that they are not talking to each other. Abbott and Patrick, do are, they're not on speaking terms right now. Um, the uh, way that Patrick asked for a special session was to put a tweet out that said he would like a special session about those three issues that I mentioned. Um, did you ever know anybody... This is, this is an easy way to explain it. Did you ever know a couple who broke up, and you're friends with both of them, and then they're talking about each other to you? Oh, yeah. And, 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 you're, you know, and, and one of them says something ugly about the other one and vice versa. And you could imagine a conversation. You, you've been there for it where one of them says, did they really say that? That's exactly the way Patrick sounded. Now, Patrick wants a special session at a time when he and Abbott are not on speaking terms, it would seem. I have it on pretty good authority that the speaker and Patrick are not on speaking terms. If they were on speaking terms, wouldn't Phelan just pick up his cell phone and call Patrick when he was trying to walk into the Senate yeah. and say, hey, I'm trying to get in here? But instead, that didn't happen. Um, they're not getting along. A special session right now would probably be very unproductive. And all of the things Patrick's talking about, if I mean, if you take him seriously on these things, which I don't, uh, I'll give you an example. He wants a crackdown on lobbyists uh, this week. He is inviting Austin lobbyists to a fundraiser for himself at the Headliners Club on June 28th. They put out the save the dates this week. Patrick's yep. office did. I that. So he'd like the legislature to crack down on lobbyists at the same time that lobbyists are supposed to give him money uh, during the same month. So, so what do you think? If they were to have a special right now, wouldn't it be pretty unproductive? And couldn't all of these things – this is where I was going with it – if they are serious about those proposals, they could be added to the special session that's going to happen anyway – in the fall. Yeah. And, and, and you brought up a really good point about like, you know, is, is, is Dan Patrick maybe, you know, trying to fight too many fronts right now in this thing? Because not only, you know, so he seems to, you know, he's, he's poking at Greg Abbott, you know, telling him, you know, what he should be doing, what he shouldn't be doing. And then he's poking at, you know, Dade Phelan, making it sound like he's not doing enough, right? And then he has Alan West, the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, you know, taking shots at him and trying Mm -hmm. to respond back to him. And so at some point, like, you you know, Patrick's kind of put himself, it's him versus everybody else right now. You know, it's just like, and maybe that's kind of what he wants. Uh, but, you know, he's bringing the senators with them, whether they want to be there or not. Right. Uh, and so they're going to all be fighting this front where, 
there's tension with these other people. And like, we don't know what kind of conversations are happening behind the scene with, mm-hmm. you know, Phelan and Abbott. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure Wes isn't speaking to either one of them at this point because he's they got under their skin too. But it just, it just kind of illustrates how much Patrick right now is just like in a different mindset right now. It's like mm-hmm. he is picking fights with a lot of people, which I'm not so sure he, if he needs to do. So. Well, he's isolated. One thing that we didn't say is that Abbott and Phelan are not talking. I'm pretty sure they are. It, yeah. it seems like Abbott and Phelan are very much aligned against Patrick. Um, and Phelan has successfully, I would say, and you heard some of it in that exchange between uh, the Speaker and Chairman Dustin Burroughs, Phelan has used Patrick as a foil to rally the House against all the members uh, against Patrick. Yeah. Uh, while Patrick's own senators, it's my understanding, are pretty weary um, and are not interested in backing him up on much, a lot of this stuff. Well, and to that point, it's like, you know, every, you know, so, you know, as this part of the session, there's a lot of like, you know, Senate bills and House bills that they, people have differences of opinion on, right? Yep. And so then they have to have these conference committees. And every time on the House floor yesterday that it was announced that the House was not going to comply with the amendments from the Senate, there'd mm-hmm. be a cheer. In the crowd, like the, uh, these <laughs> right. are state representatives going, yeah, you thought you were at like some sort of sporting event, you know, where they're like, yeah, <laughs> stick it to them. <laughs> so every time they reject like uh, amendments or legislation from the it's Senate, it, yeah. it's what you're saying. It's like the House is starting to rally around this. It's them versus us now, mm-hmm. you know, and you just wonder, it's like, wow, what, what happened here? How did we get to the point where we're almost back to the Joe Strauss years uh, of Patrick like making enemies of the entire Texas House. Yeah, right. Uh, You know, in previous legislative sessions, uh, I'll say one other thing about this, and then we'll go on to some of these other things that haven't been settled out just yet. Um, In previous sessions, it seemed to me that the anger and the tension between the two legislative chambers was a little more organic. Uh, You would see um, the anger start to build. Uh, It would be simmering among the members that their legislation hasn't passed the other chamber and vice versa, Um, and there would be some outburst. Uh, either Sinfronia Thompson or Harold Dutton, both um, you know, longtime veteran legislators from Houston. I just happen to remember their speeches on this topic. They would, you know, suddenly get very angry at the front microphone and say things like, "A Dutton had said famously that if the Senate doesn't respect us, they better expect us." Yeah. And they would open the back doors of the House, and a bunch of House members would want to walk over to the Senate and you know show that they're there to talk to them about their legislation and a big sort of a big protest, right? This time it seems to be I won't say manufactured that's not quite right. that's not quite right although I did just say it out loud for a reason it's not manufactured but it is more orchestrated it, it seems like the the speaker and his leadership team have really done a good job of rallying the house against Patrick in a way that it's what the speaker wanted them to do uh, rather than something that just happened on its own uh, some of these other issues we, we've got electricity yep. we've got the elections bill. Um, and a few other things. Let's talk about electricity first. The two big bills on electricity, and there's a lot of uh, bills dealing with the electric grid after the storm in February, uh, but two big things, SB2 that has to do with um, the uh, makeup of uh, the boards that oversee the grid, and then SB3 uh, that has to do with some winterization and an alert system uh, for for blackouts. I thought this was a really revealing exchange during the debate and the final passage on one of these bills. Um, Representative John Smithy listened to hours and hours of testimony of the State Affairs Committee. Smithy is from Amarillo. 
and Chairman Chris Patty, who I mentioned earlier, uh, the chair of the State Affairs Committee, they were on the floor of the House talking about some of the problems with the oversight of the electricity grid. This has to do with the Public Utilities Commission and the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, which I think to most Texans, maybe even the vast majority of Texans, had maybe never even heard of ERCOT before the storm in February. Yeah, I would put money on that. (laughs) We, of course, in the media are very familiar with it because anytime there would be potential of blackouts or brownouts or anything in the middle of the summer, which is usually when we deal with the issues in Texas because it gets so hot, um, we call ERCOT and see what's the update. But I think average folks go, what are they talking about? ERCOT, is that a stone fruit? It sounds like, you know, something like that. It's like an apricot kind of mixed with something else. (laughs) Right. So listen to Smithy and Patty talking about um, the the mystery that kind of surrounds the way that the electricity grid is even managed in Texas. I still have the same question, and that is, what is the purpose of the ERCOT board? I, I read the statute, Chapter 39 of the Utilities Code. I sat through all those hours of testimony, and, and I still don't know what the board actually does. Well, as a whole, are you speaking specifically to this bill, which deals with the unaffiliated members? Well, right. uh, we're, we're basically prescribing the qualifications of the board, but in that same chapter, I, I mean, I'm just curious what the board does, because in that same chapter, it says that PUC has... Uh, the wording is complete authority to oversee finances, budget, and operations of ERCOT. And so if PUC has that complete authority, then I don't understand why we even need a board. It kind of is a, a level of bureaucracy that we really don't need. Well, within the ERCOT uh, organization, you have a lot of folks. You have, of course, some market participants that, that are spelled out, obviously, uh, in the current structure as well as subcommittees that work on particular uh, very technical issues. Then you have the unaffiliated folks, which are the ones that we heard the most concerns about, right? And those are the ones you were speaking to earlier uh, that we tried to address in this bill. Understanding that unlike many other uh, boards or commissions or things of that nature, these are folks that are expected to have a very highly technical level of expertise in some very specific areas. This is complicated stuff that I would not be anywhere close to being qualified to, to serve on. And so we want to make sure that we can have the best and brightest to be able to do that. And I would add that the unaffiliated members really act in a way as, as the, uh, uh, the voice of the consumer. Because, see, they're not, they're not affiliated with any particular market participant, uh, and so they wouldn't be biased in one way or the other. They're, they're there to make sure, basically kind of serve as the executive board uh, of the overall board that exists at ERCOT. Chairman Patty there, in one of his first interviews about this topic, uh, right after the storm, had said that he was trying to wrap his mind around how complicated this all is when it comes to the electricity grid. I mean, and you remember the hours and hours. Did they have a hearing that went for 13 hours? I mean, they they, they talked a lot about um, the complexities of the electricity grid in Texas and what went wrong. I think that, to Smithy's point, there is a lot of confusion about who is in charge when things go wrong with the electricity grid. And it speaks to what we have in Texas, which is a completely deregulated market. They can kind of do whatever they want. And, you know, you have uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, who had criticized California previously, where they have a very regulated market, but they have had problems. In Texas, we have a deregulated market, and we have had problems. There is something to be said for the fact that there are going to be instances where it doesn't matter how the market is set up. There are systems that are going to fail. 
Yeah. And and one thing for sure, and, and here's why I'm bringing this up, one thing for sure that we need to keep in mind going forward is that alternative sources of energy are going to be needed, and the Texas Senate took aim at that while the House sought to not do that. And as this goes to a conference committee, it's not clear exactly how that's going to work out, Jeremy. I know you had written a lot about that because the Senate was basically trying to do what even some House members had wanted to see, uh, which is, as senators put it, level the playing field for other sources of energy like natural gas. Uh, But Democrats and even some Republicans have argued that, no, no, we need to encourage a diversified system for electricity uh, in Texas, uh, especially if we're not going to be under federal regulation. Then we have to do a better job of having a complex and um, diversified fuel mix because all of these different ways of producing electricity, whether it's natural gas, whether it's coal uh, or wind or solar, they, they can all fail, but they fail in different ways yeah. and on different days, depending on what's happening. Well, and, and and here's here's a shocker to the listeners out there, but there are lobbyists in all of those corners of the mm-hmm. electric market. You know, no matter where you're from, and this so, has been a one, lobby free for all. Yeah, one one of the things we've seen in the house, like you know, what they've done is like you know, remember back in February, everybody was like, "That's it, we're going to make everybody winterize. We're going to go after you know any sort of electricity generator. Well, even going to go after gas, and that kind of caused an uproar, right? Like the fact that the Texas legislature was willing to maybe penalize gas companies up to a million dollars for not you know winterizing well one of the things that's happened that part has gotten watered down with each step along the process and you know now we're at this point where that could be you know you know maybe we don't do as much about gas companies after all Mm -hmm. and maybe we do more to punish you know wind and solar companies Mm -hmm. because they're hurting you know, gas suppliers because they're so much cheaper than the gas supplier. So you can see what started as how do we keep the lights on in Texas the next time this happens has morphed into do we really want to punish gases that much? Mm -hmm. And do we really want this much solar in our market because it keeps prices too low? It's a weird you know, transition, but the public needs to understand that this conversation, the longer it goes on, the further it gets away from the original point, which is – are you going to keep the lights on yeah. this winter? Yeah, and to make sure that um, we can uh, maintain uh, electricity um, service uh, for people during weather events that are becoming more frequent. Kurt Morgan is the CEO of Vistra, which is the largest generator of electricity in Texas. He was on WFAA television in Dallas, and he said the future of the state's economy is at stake. We have the number one economy in, in, in the country. Uh, you know, Governor Abbott's done a heck of a job bringing in companies. But when I go to a meeting, a, a chamber meeting, and I hear Texas Instruments say, we're, we're thinking twice about putting in a semiconductor plant because of electricity, we can't miss on this one. We have to have electricity. It is fundamental to everyday life for businesses and people alike. And when it's that big a deal, it's my view that elected officials will come together and do the right thing. ERCOT and the PUC have faced some reforms, as we talked about this session, but what about the Railroad Commission, which oversees natural gas, right? Uh, Morgan said, well, that gets a little sticky. That's a complicated issue with the Railroad Commission because of its relationship in the Constitution of Texas. Uh, I would only say this, that I'm still looking for what entity in the state of Texas that has oversight and regulates the gas of price on the intrastate gas pipeline system. There isn't anybody. 
And we have a, a, a market monitor and we have an enforcement arm in the PUC that looks at every single transaction in the electric side. And there's just not symmetry there. Um, so I do believe that we need a different type of regulation on the gas business inside the state of Texas. I think it should be looked at and it ought to be similar to what the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, the rules that they have in place for the interstate gas pipeline system. You remember that former Governor Perry said that, uh, and this is a paraphrase, but he said that uh, Texans would rather shiver in their homes than be under federal regulations uh, when, it, when it comes to our electricity uh, grid. Uh, he has a monetary reason to say that, of course. Perry has served uh, on the Board of Energy Transfer Partners, which is one of the natural gas uh, companies that has posted giant profits uh, just from that one week. Some of yeah. these, uh, some of these natural gas companies um, posted billions of dollars in profit just for that five days that we were, you know, all completely covered in ice from Amarillo all the way to Galveston. Um, I don't know what's going to come out in the final analysis here, Jeremy, but it's pretty clear that, as you said, tackling the big uh, oil and gas companies on this is not what Texas legislators want to do at all. Let's keep in mind, there is gambling in this establishment. Uh, these are some of their biggest funders. Uh, nobody's naive here. I'm not really outraged about, about it either. They're also, um, and I'm not outraged because this is business as usual, the energy grid in Texas is set up such that what happened during that winter storm is what was just going to happen because um, there, because there is so little regulation of all of this stuff, and it's not clear who is in charge. And they're making some changes that I think a lot of folks are going to think are just superficial. But as far as what would happen if that kind of storm struck us again, potentially maybe the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, can you imagine the reaction if we, when we head into this winter mm -hmm. and we have that first cold snap, if anybody loses power, you know, God bless the Texas legislature, because <laughs> this is as one of those pitchfork moments and torches and whatever else that mm -hmm. people will be marching onto the Capitol. Some big items still up in the air, as I mentioned. One of the others is um, the voting legislation, the elections bill. Where are we with that? The, um, the Senate Bill 7 conference committee has been out for a while. Yep. And you know, they've been diligently working, I'm told, but I keep hearing, and I've heard this over the last 72 hours, each day someone will tell me in the morning that the conference committee report's going to come out on Senate Bill 7, meaning the details of the final version are going to at some point be available. That has still not happened. It could happen today. It could happen Saturday. It could happen Sunday. We're getting to the point now where they have to suspend some rules to be able to move quickly yeah. on that. So I would expect that it, it should happen today or tomorrow. If they want to wrap this thing up, that is one of the things that if Governor Abbott was keeping uh, his word about what he has said he wants to do, that if they didn't wrap that up this weekend, there potentially could be an immediate special session. Although with that as well, yeah. it could be something they could do in the fall. So yeah. I don't know that that would be completely necessary, but it is one of his priorities, Jeremy. Yeah, and it's all a question of how far do they want to go. You know, it's like, you know, is it good enough to give poll workers, you know, our poll watchers, you know, partisan poll watchers, more authority in, you know, you know, during elections. Is that enough, mm -hmm. or does it have to go more extreme and get to the point where you're taking, you know, wiping out early voting sites in some black and Hispanic communities? Mm -hmm. That's what's left before the legislature here in these last few days, going down to the finish line. How much of a fight do they want to have on mm -hmm. this? You know, it's, it's hard to gauge. 
You know, obviously the answer is probably going to be different from the Senate or the House. How far do you want to push this? So we'll watch that space. You can uh, check out quorumreport.com, HoustonChronicle.com. If they do come up with a compromise, we'll have the reports for you there. Uh, permitless carry, that's headed yeah. to the governor's desk. Yeah, the, go- the governor is, you know, you know, uh, any minute now could decide to sign this bill, which you know right. he's going to. He he's could do it on Facebook Live it. while we're doing the show here. Yeah, exactly. And so, so what we know is like Texas is about to join 21 other states that allow a form of permitless carry, which means that anybody over the age of 21 will be able to carry a handgun without having to go through any sort of licensing from the state. That means mm-hmm. no background check. There means no... Uh, uh, you know, safety courses you know, required. Th- those things will still be there for people who voluntarily want mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, but as it stands now, Texas, like we have become the largest state to have, you know, permitless carry now. And so that was a big priority for some House members, mm-hmm. you know, and we know, you know, Senator, you know, Lieutenant Governor Patrick was, you know, really slow to kind of get mm-hmm. on top of this thing. But like even he, he, you know, talk about night and day on this thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, back in mid-April, he was telling us all he didn't have the votes to get this through the Senate. And, you know, now it easily got through the Senate, you yeah. know. And so it is on its way to the governor and getting it signed into law. Yeah, and it does have some more provisions in it now that police and prosecutors wanted to see uh, yeah. because they were they were very unhappy with the version that came out of the House, which uh, didn't have increased penalties for, say, if there's a felon who is caught carrying a gun with no license and all of that. Uh, the prosecutors have said over and over, it's hard enough to keep a firearm out of the hands of somebody who, for example, has a protective order against them. And when you start to eliminate the need for paperwork to have one, it makes it even harder. Yeah. Right, so they're so they're not happy about this. We'll see how it all plays out. Um, one other thing, honky tonks in Texas. Oh, you brought this up before. I think the governor read your story about George Strait. Well, if he was going to read one story, you know, about this, if it had George Strait in it, probably a good chance, right? He played his inauguration. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Guys, he's certainly it, a big fan of George Strait, and who yeah. isn't? Quite honestly, right? It, you know, it's like yes. uh, nobody's Fair ever enough. driven from San Antonio to Amarillo without you know thinking to George Strait, you know, at some point. But yeah, so it, uh, it's interesting. He did sign this bill into law that will create a music incubator fund, which is essentially you know alcohol taxes from live mu- music venues will be put into a fund that can be sent back to these places as a rebate on their taxes to keep them floating. You know, anybody who's ever uh, you know you know shed a tear for you know losing places like Threadgills or yeah. you know Fitzgeralds or mm-hmm. uh, uh, Roxy down in Laredo you know folks who who miss those places will be happy to hear that there might be a little bit more now in the you know you know, Texas government's, you know, mm-hmm. tool bo- toolbox to save the other ones, to make sure that, you know, Luchenbach and Flores Country Store and, you know, all of the, the great music venues that have given rise to not just, you know, the, the country music, but also to the hip hop, you know, that Houston has produced and to the Tejano music, all mm-hmm. of that, you know, gets a breath of air now uh, to maybe continue on a little bit longer, you know, in the, you know, the, the suburbanite pressure. You know, the urban pressure that we're Mm -hmm. seeing a lot of these clubs get sucked up around, so their rents are going sky high. But anyway, so that bill is now signed, and the honky-tonks are saved, in theory. (laughs) <laughs> well, let's hope. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, and they just like every every other business had such a tough 2020 and uh, a beginning of 2021. Uh, they were suffering, as you pointed out previously uh, on the program. 
those uh, those establishments were already suffering, and then coronavirus hits, and I'm sure it uh, you know just made it that much worse for all of them. So it's good to uh, see that they're doing something about it. Yeah. We're going to keep a close eye on all these developing stories throughout the weekend. The legislature is making their way now toward sine die, which someone asked me what that means. When the legislature adjourns sine die, that just means that they're adjourned with no specific time to come back. That means they're done. And as we sit here and tape this afternoon, they are three days, 10 hours, 37 minutes, and 55 seconds away from being required to mercifully stop. So we'll let you know what happens at uh, quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com. I am reminded uh, by the management around here, which is me, to tell you to go on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever, and give us the highest rating that you can. I have gone back to not reading any of the reviews, but you can leave one there. What I'd like you to to do is just leave a five-star review, okay? Nothing less than that. You know how when you get those customer service um, surveys, they'll call you and say, what was your your service like at the car dealership or whatever? Before you leave the dealership, they'll say, if you give us anything less than the the highest rating, you know, we're all going to get fired around here. Yeah. (laughs) Which is not true. They just want to have the best rating, right? So give us the best rating too. Uh, You know you love the show. You've listened to it for 41 minutes. All right. We will see you next week. And by then, this legislative session will be in the history books. 